0: Hello my friends, today we are talking to Tim Woods, the VP of Technology Alliances at Firemon. And we discuss how Firemon is bringing simplicity to enterprise cybersecurity. Why you should never be afraid to make mistakes and what the future looks like for enterprise network security. All of this right here, right now, on the Modern CTO Podcast. Here we go. This is the Modern CTO Podcast. Man, this is great, dude. So we're just going to hang out and chat. Like if we were hanging out at lunch or something, I'm just super interested in what you guys are doing and and who you are. But I was curious, can you give me like the 10 second overview of Firemon?
1: Sure. You know, a lot of people don't know Firemon has been around for a better part of 15 years, you know, over 15 years. And we're a leader in the network security policy management space. We affectionately call it agile NSPM. The agility piece comes into play to where we're helping enterprises break down some of those barriers uh, to agility which there's a there's a lot of them but we extend visibility uh continuous compliance i like to say compliance i like to say proactive compliance is a big part of it change process automation and i think at the end of the day we're always trying you know we always have an eye on risk too right it's like how can i help you identify that you're managing risk to a level that's acceptable by the business and things like that so markers that you can kind of look at very quickly and determine, you know, where where am I at today? What, is, what does my risk level look like today? Things like that. So, yeah, no, it's, it's, it's been a great ride. We're very humbled because we have a lot of very large enterprises that are trusting us, you know, to, to help them with their security journey, so to speak. So
0: <clears throat> when you do that, when you do that analysis, like here's where you are today, like your current risk then do you like show them a forward picture of here's where you want to be and this is how we can get there or are you just the just the first part just the analysis part
1: that's kind of both right you kind of i think in any journey you kind of where am i at today where do i want to go tomorrow and how do once i get there you know how do i stay there and and how am i going to quantify the return on my investment you know i get the luxury of talking to a lot of really really smart people and, and I'm humbled by that, but CISOs, security directors, CISOs, and things like that. And they're very interested in, and even more so today, you know, they have so many things in their repertoire, so many things in their in their gun belt, so to speak, that that they're trying to bring to bear on the challenges that they're faced with. And every time they adopt another one, you know, there's caring feeding that goes along with that. You got to train, you have the best technology on the planet, but your people have to use that technology effectively or you're not going to get that return back. And so, and right now, they're trying to consolidate that. They feel like they have things that are, the, the worst word in the world to them is shelfware, right? I don't want to invest in something that's not going to give me the return. But to answer your question is, you know, yeah, I want to be able to know kind of where I'm at today. And we kind of help you do that. We use something called a, uh, a security concern index score that kind of gives you it doesn't mean anything other than helps you build a baseline. Of kind of where you're at today and then I have something to trend against you know as I'm getting better at compliance as I'm getting better at managing risk as I'm getting better at managing change how am I doing from an SCI score perspective so I think you have to build that baseline first where am I at and and am I getting better or worse are the things that I'm doing making an impact right on a day-in day-out basis you seem pretty passionate about this I have. I've been here a long time. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of satisfaction when you can help move the needle, you know, within an organization to truly help them become better at either managing risk or, or having better visibility, especially today. I mean, when you think about what they're faced with today, you know, in this new, I call it the hybrid expanse, there's a lot of things going on, a lot of complexity. And that's my, that's my platform. It, it's what can I help you, how can I help you to combat complexity? Because I think that's one of the biggest adversaries that we're faced with on a day to that. As complexity goes up, the probability of human error goes up, the probability of risk goes up, the probability of misconfiguration goes up. There's a lot of things. And there's always a certain amount of complexity, what I call good inherent complexity, you know, in any good uh, security architect, architecture or implementation. But what we find ourselves today is with too much unnecessary complexity, overly permissive policies, overly permissive rules, way more, especially if you're trying to embrace zero trust or or you have a zero trust strategy, and it's just the opposite. You know, it's zero trust doesn't mean zero trust, it means allowing some trust. But in today's in, in today's policies, what we find typically is way too much overly permissive policies that are laying, allowing way more access. Than what the than what the company really needs to achieve the business.
0: Now, your ability to help, like you, like you said, these CISOs, they have so much, there's so much complexity, there's overly permissive policies. Your ability as a person, though, I'm always interested in like who Tim is. And you seem to have this knack for taking these complicated things and boiling them down to something simple. And I saw in your your history that you used to be in the Navy, and I've found just like a personal connection through growing up with my dad being in the air force and getting to meet other people that have military type backgrounds that they tend to be pretty good on on focusing and sorting through things at a, at a rapid pace do you think that your experience in the
1: navy like helped shape you in this way uh, it definitely carved out my career path right i was in navy Naval intelligence um, for a better part of eight years I, enjoyed it you know i think that the question i always ask people you know if i when I meet other veterans and things like that, it's like, Hey, would you do it again? Right. And, you know, my answer is, yeah, I'd do it again in a heartbeat. It was a, it was a phenomenal experience for me and it, and it set my path for the future as well. But being involved in that, you know, we, I was, uh, we use the term, you know, and you've heard this loose lips sink ships, but it's, it, what it really boils down to is, you weren't given access to information unless you had a need to know, right? You had to have a need to know in order to access that information. Uh, otherwise, you just you just didn't get access to that information. It's as simple as that. And so, again, even today in some of today's uh, security uh, in-depth type strategies, you know, and zero trust, I go back to zero trust as a strategy because it's not a standard, it's a strategy. But I, I relate a lot of what people are trying to achieve with zero trust with what I experienced uh, during my term, during my time in, uh, you know, serving in the Naval Security Group as well. So yeah, we did, we processed things quickly. We were always working around the clock. I mean, there was, you know, it, it was a 24 hour clock that we wore uh, and uh, and we were always on. So it was, it was a fun experience and uh, yeah, I would definitely go back and do it again. It taught me a lot.
0: So you were, your official title, you were cryptologic
1: technician, am I saying that correctly? That's right. Yeah. Cryptologic technician in the maintenance branch. There's cryptologic, the cryptologic field in the Navy, in the Naval security group spans a lot. There's cryptologic technician, you know, intelligence operators, receivers, and we all have our specialty so to speak within the cryptology community there. So, but yeah, we learned ciphers and, and, uh, and some of the cryptology uh, you know, technology, and got to work on a lot of really cool equipment as well yeah, for sure
0: that area of knowledge in the universe, I grazed it (laughs) for like a weekend, (laughs) like understanding these concepts. And I was just blown away by how interesting and they're, they're basically like, if you like puzzles, that is your, Ah. that is your playground as a professional, right?
1: Oh, it was fun. I mean, and if I put it in perspective, when I, even when I joined back in the day and I'm not going to date myself too much here, but I will say that, I was working on equipment that would take up a couple of racks just for what I will call the transmitter and the receiver. You know, that, that piece of cryptology that I had on my end that connected to somebody else's piece of cryptology equipment on the other end. And we had to change ciphers and we had to synchronize when we change ciphers and stuff like that. But literally that equipment, that technology would take up an entire rack, like a, like the height of a human. And by the time I got out, just in that small eight year span, You know, we were working on things like that. So I went from troubleshooting to the component level. By the time I got out, it was push a button. Oh, it's a one. So now we need to replace this board. You know, things like that. So, and and that's that's two extremes that happened in an eight year span. And very light. And 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 mind you, I mean the equipment was already in use that I was trained on initially. You know, I was trained on new equipment. But today, you know, we fit that on a chip. That chip goes in a in an iPhone. It goes in a you know, it goes on a watch. It goes on a, it's just, it's, it's amazing. You know, it's on, uh, you have cryptographic, you know, equipment, the size of a stamp that goes on a, you know, that goes on a computer board today, you know, and, but that once took, like anything, I mean, it just, it took a lot of space. So.
0: Can I, can I check like a, I like to bounce ideas and, and concepts, things that I'm thinking about off people sometimes, like on a personal level. Is that cool? Can I detour the conversation yeah, for a yeah, second? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Let's go. So I get to talk to people of all experience levels. So the 20 something year old doing the startup to the person, you know, in their late sixties, seventies doing, re- they're, they're like on the brink of retiring. Right. Sure. So I get the entire spectrum. And then for myself, just to give you some context, I'm 33. So I'm like, I kind of like in the middle there, right? And one of the things that I'm experiencing now, um, and what, what brought this up or made me think about this is I noticed that, that people that are probably like over their mid-40s, they constantly use this phrase, I don't want to date myself, like when I'm talking with them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like standard. When I was 20, all I wanted to do was be older. <laughs> like, I just wanted to be older so bad. I was rushing for it. Like, I was running as fast as I could. Like, just let me be old. Like, let me get it farther in life. And I just want these. And then I turn like 30, right? And now I'm having kids and I've watched how fast they go from zero to three or zero to four, you know, they're, they're under five years old. But And all of a sudden, I've noticed myself personally in the past, I don't know, six or eight months where I don't want things to speed up anymore like i'm happy at the rate that they're progressing i don't i don't want to like live farther up in the future anymore and like rush it i'm like this goes by fast and i really kind of want to enjoy this time like not not to be lazy it's just like i notice my mindset shifting so the question because you're ahead of me is this the the thing i like the the thing i want from you is this did you experience that? Like, did you experience that, like wanting to be older and then you got to the certain point, like maybe in your thirties and then you were just like, oh, okay, I kind of want it to like, I like this, this is good or,
1: or no, you know, everything's relative, right? From where you're adding a given, given, given time, space and time. Uh, definitely. When I was a younger man, I wanted to be older as well. I just remember. I I'm, I remember. I joined the Navy right out of high school, and it was good to me. I I, I had a lot of vocational training. It paid for my college and all of that. But I'm I remember looking at guys that were 24 years old. And I'm thinking, God, you know, here I am, I'm 19, 20 years old. They're 24 and they know so much, you know, and here I am well down my journey. And, and I have a lot of, uh, a a lot of things that, that take up my time. I'm a country boy. I live in the country. We have a nice little ranch and cows and horses and things like that. And so we uh, we love to kind of put technology on hold on the weekends and enjoy the outdoors. Uh, I have a 14 year old boy that I'm get to, you know, live life through his eyes too, vicariously. And so we do all kinds of things and big outdoors people, but, uh, and gamers too. He loves, you know, I get to, I still get to be, I I still get to go against him on the Xbox, which is fun, but yeah, you know, I, I've learned that the clock seem does seem to speed up. Uh, I just, I, I don't worry about the things I can't control. You know, I try to focus on the things that I can control, you know, as far as having a positive outcome and don't worry too much about you know the the hands of time moving you know quicker than i want them to i think they they definitely do though as you get older it just seems like that they go by a lot quicker than they used to when you were younger you but you're absolutely right when you were younger they couldn't go by quick enough and yep. as you get older you you are trying to you are trying to slow them down and we see that in a lot of different areas even in the kids you know as the kids are growing up you're like oh my god they're growing up too quick i want to freeze them right here and but uh, yeah, they grow up way too fast. Everything kind of moves. But you know, and I, I've loved. I also like. I was talking about the technology. I love to see you know advances in technology and 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 the things that we've seen come to fruition during my age as well too. So I mean, yeah, love it. I don't I don't worry too much about it. I just and I sure don't. I I don't I don't make any judgment calls anymore <laughs> about what somebody knows or doesn't know. Doesn't know. I mean, I've I've met some of these young. IT professionals that have, you know, I don't go in there and say, you know, I've been there, seen that, done that. Some of these guys are just, ah, oh God, there's always a learning opportunity. They're so smart. Some of these young kids are so smart that have, you know, that are that are well into their, you know, cybersecurity type path or road or journey. And uh, there's always an opportunity to learn. So I always look for those opportunities to learn. I don't care how old they are. It just blows me away sometimes how much some of them know.
0: Yeah. Well, they also have a leg up too. Like for me, I had a huge advantage because my dad started teaching me at eight just so he could get his work done. He'd be like, all right, go play on this computer and do this just so (laughs) he can go do his engineering work and keep me busy. And uh, yeah. So what happens is, you know, you have all that free time as a kid, right? So I grew up playing, experimenting, being on the internet, you know, all through school. I mean, that's like a good decade plus of experience. So when you get out of high school, you know, you've got it. If you've self-educated, you've got a decade of experience in a given category.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I was kidding. My son the other day, I, we were talking about uh, something to do with cell phones or whatever. I said, you know, I said, you're lucky. I said, you know, you've got you are you're probably on your third cell phone already. You're 14. You, you're already on your third cell. I said, you know how old I was when I got my first cell phone? And, uh, <laughs> you know, he giggled, but yeah, no, we, we'd done, you know, we built our first computer together so that we could do a, uh, You know, we could support the first Oculus Rift for the virtual reality type stuff, but I made sure that he had his sleeves rolled up and his fingers were deep into the construction of that PC. You know, we've been flying drones a lot lately and he's ready to go to the next, you know, first person view drone and things like that. So it's uh, you're right. They're immersed in technology at a young age and they just they just kind of gravitate toward it naturally, too. I mean, it's just they just consume it. I I didn't have that technology at, at his age. Uh, or wasn't exposed to it and i think that's what when i joined the navy it's the first time that i was exposed to technology like 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 wow this is a whole nother whole nother world this is uh this is a an area that i didn't even know existed and uh you know it just I, I i just came alive you know for for just another area having no idea what path that would set me on down the road but it was yeah it was amazing to me i studied advanced electricity and electronics and that's what led me down the path to cryptology but yeah it's great but you're right kids nowadays they're already <laughs> they're exposed yeah. to it you know but <laughs> by the time they're out of diapers they can already work up uh, an iphone so that's crazy oh
0: my daughter has been rocking and rolling on her Android Kid tablet since I don't know two and a half. I mean, she can do everything. And <laughs> oh, yeah. she she could operate that thing and pick her shows that she wanted before she could form sentences.
1: Yep. Yep. Yeah. yeah. My oldest daughter, I mean, when she when she made the uh I have four kids for the audience for, for those in the audience that may be maybe curious, but I have four. The oldest one is grown and, and has her own kids now. But when she made that relational link between the mouse and the cursor, Mm -hmm. it was just amazing. It was amazing to watch, you know, it was just, you know, game on the race was on at that point, you know, once they made that now it's the finger on the, on the screen, you know, then it was the mouse. Now it's the finger. So
0: you're a big outdoors person. Um, in our yeah, love the outdoors and the prep call with uh, our production team, I got a note that you had like a small chainsaw accident, and I was like, That's my type of person. Like, he's an outdoor, <laughs> we go camping, we love that. Uh, and I was just curious about you know, I like when I find other people who do the outdoors thing, how, how do you? I guess the question would be sometimes I see some people and they're so like burnt out or on on edge or or they haven't spent enough time in nature sometimes I feel like the prescription for what their problem is is to just pick them up and throw them in the woods for a little bit because i I wasn't always an outdoors person and when I started going outdoors more man you know I learned more hiking up a mountain than I learned from reading 100 leadership books you know just because it's this personal experience that you're having um have you have you you ever sell people on nature? <laughs>
1: You know, I, 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 I don't, I mean, I guess I, I, the circle of friends that I, you know, that I hang around with outside of work, you know, we don't get as, as much. I mean, it's anybody that meets me for any length of time, you know, no pretty knows pretty quickly that I'm kind of an outdoors kind of guy, you know, and then I try to, I have a fine balance between technology and, and, uh, and, and making sure that I spend enough time outdoors and things like that. But now the kids all grew up, you know, camping and, you know, I I remember the first time I took the girls out camping and, you know, we, uh, I bought them a, we, we, we did like a little rental cabin, you know, with a little pond outside and stuff like that. And the whole time we're there, it's like, all they want to do is like, when are we going to set up the tent? I'm like, what do you mean? I got you a cabin. It's got an air conditioner. I think it's even got a TV. It's got this. And they're just like, let's, but where's the tent? And so we started tenting it from there on out. And, you know it's just a better experience i mean you, you you come away from it just you know i don't know feeling more satisfied whenever you put that tent up especially if it rains if bad weather comes and your tent withstands the elements and you was you know and you <laughs> you make it through the elements you know in your in the own little house that you constructed in the middle of the woods so yeah no it, it, it's it's fun I, I don't know do i do i try to sell people on them i i'm more than happy to talk about it you know and and talk about what we've done and where we've went uh things like that. I, I enjoy, you know, enjoy camping and we enjoy hiking. We go up, we're very close to Oklahoma and we go up to robbers cave a lot and things like that where Jesse James supposedly hit out, but I'm a diver also. My son and I died, my, my youngest daughter died. And so we spend a lot of time, you know, above the surface, but we spend, we spend a good quality, good amount of time, you know, uh, below the surface as well.
0: <laughs> nice, nice. Yeah, I've, yeah, I'm certified. I have my basic and then my nitrox certification. And yeah, I mean, I live in Florida, like, how can you not have right. diving if you were born and raised in
1: Florida? It's like the thing to do the beach, you know? Yeah, no, absolutely right. We loved it. My uh, my youngest wanted to get certified when she was 13 and she she sucked me into it and and uh I was like, "I'll, you know, I'll support you doing it. I don't know that that's going to be my thing, but uh you know, it can be your thing." And she's like, "No, you're going to do it with me." And so I did and and got hooked. That's definitely an area that I try to, you know, I promote, you know, as long as you're comfortable doing it. I don't promote, you know, as you know, Scooby, you you need to be comfortable in your skin when you're underwater. You don't want to be Last thing you want to be is uncomfortable, uh, you know, with a, you with don't a go tank with of air on your back. people. Yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah <laughs> no,
1: no, not at all. <laughs> so, I don't, I don't recommend it. But uh, as long as you're comfortable and and uh, uh, you know, you don't have a lot of anxiety underwater, then uh, yeah, it's a great. It can be a great life changing experience. How can I? How can I help?
0: Like, what type of people? What do your customers look like? Like, tell me about, tell me about that. Yeah,
1: what do your customers look like? Yeah, I, you know, traditionally, uh, our customers are very large enterprise, uh, where they have a, um, a lot of uh, heterogeneity, uh, they're usually global in nature, a lot of complexity, and, and they're trying to make sense of that they're trying to get better visibility, probably the number one thing that I hear is I need better visibility across my estate now it's across my hybrid estate you know it's not just on prem anymore it's it's going up into they're adopting SD-WAN you know how do i how do i get they're adopting SASE uh, how do i get visibility into my policies in SASE how do i get visibility to my policies in the cloud both my native policies or virtually inserted enforcement point technologies um, how do i how do i how do i get a good view across my tire hybrid expanse and also when things change right i need to be on top of when something changes i need to be able to very quickly assess did that change have any type of impact either on my compliance posture my business posture my 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 security posture you know and how do i and how do i know there's just some basic questions you know that need to be answered anytime a change takes place right it's like did i expect the change Did the change have a negative impact? Do I need to do something, right? Do I need to go remediate that change or do I need to back that change out? And that's reactively, right? I always like to say, I want to be faster than the change within the environment for my customers, right? And so I want to be able to analyze proposed change in the context of the policy that it's destined for and try to head off the problem before it becomes a problem. And so if you can take that proposed change and put it in the context of the policy, it doesn't do a lot of good to analyze it outside the context of the policy that it's destined for. So you need to kind of be able to, we're able to take a policy and sandbox it, insert the change, and then analyze that prior to implementation so that we can say, hey, you can do this, but here's what's going to be the potential impact here. You know, you're either going to break a compliance. You're either going to break a compliance control or you're going to increase risk by X uh, or you're fixing to allow something that's a big no-no. You know, somebody puts something in that allows a clear text protocol from the inside to the outside or something like that. Or it opens up an S3 bucket, you know, if you do that, if you make this configuration change or something like that. So being able to do that before I shoot myself in the foot, which is the analogy that I always use, <laughs> I want to try to keep me keep myself from hurting myself. Uh, then that's that's better. Pro Proact- reactively is good. You know that's still important. I want to be able to see change from when change happens in t- in today's world and in the hybrid landscape, the hybrid real estate change happens very quickly. It's very dynamic. How do I analyze that change when it happens? but then also, and recognize that change, but then also how can I get in front of change? How can I be faster than change to help me take that proactive stance? And I think in anybody's journey, when I look at the enterprise journey, their digital transformation journey or their cloud first journeys or whatever, that's where I want to help them get to is how can I, from a, from a change process automation perspective, how can I leverage automation to my advantage so that I, can, that I can be faster than change, if that makes sense. Oh, I've got so many questions, Tim.
0: All right. I had to write them down. Okay. The first thing I want to clear up is policy. The word policy is like model, super ambiguous, right? Are these AWS yeah. policies,
1: firewall policies, where, what type of policies do you manage? So I call it enforcement policy, security enforcement policies, and they're everywhere, right? I mean, when I, again, as I, if I'm looking in the, in, if I'm looking on prem, you know, I've got traditional firewalls, I hate the term legacy because it tends to bring up. It's not a bad word, but people tend to put a bad. You know, it's like Tim's legacy. They you don't know, or like whatever. feeling so, old. People don't yeah, like feeling they old. No, yeah. feel You know, it's legacy. It's it's. Uh, but legacy is here, and legacy still has a very valuable place in the in the constructs of our world today, and in the constructs of the hybrid network. And we're going to be in a hybrid state for a very long time, very, 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 very long time. Uh, but up up from the ground to the cloud there's a lot of policies and 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 here's what i tell people is to be real if i'm being if i'm being brutally honest with myself and i'm always trying to be get people to be brutally honest with themselves if you're going to have effective changes you got to you got to really kind of score yourself and say if i've done a bad job managing my policies just on prem and now my policies are expanding both you know enforcement policies in my SD-WAN arena, enforcement policies in my SASE cloud, if I'm embracing SASE, policies in the cloud. And yes, you're right, there's native controls or native security controls, native security groups, VPC rules, uh, and now there's you know both Amazon and Azure, both have, an, have their own virtually inserted firewalls or virtual firewalls as well, or cloud-based firewalls, we'll call them. Zscaler, a really big technology partner, you know, they have an, an advanced cloud firewall in the in the middle of their sassy cloud. So there's policies up and down the stack. But if I've done a bad job of managing the hygiene around the, around the traditional firewalls that are just on-prem, what's my true expectation of doing a good job of managing even more policies across a wider expanse? You know, how am I going to get my arms around that? And that's the journey that I want to help people go down. That's the journey that I want to help people take to say, "How am I going to get my arms around this bigger, this bigger thing, uh, and do a good job of managing all those policies?" So, yeah, you hear the term policy a lot. When we hear the term, when we talk about the term policy, we're talking about security enforcement policies uh, that are that are helping to control access. You know, if 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 I'm if I'm constructing. Or, or, or trying to put together a zero trust strategy. You know, you're going to use. You know, a big part of zero trust, of course, is identity management. Big part of, but network security enforcement is also a big part of it. And being able to establish those zones of controls, uh, those areas that I'm going to define who has access, how big those zones are, and who has access, whether it's north or south or whether it's east or west, whether we're talking about segmentation or micro-segmentation, I still have to define my zones and determine who has access into that zone, who am I restricting out of that zone, because if I'm opening that thing up, then it's just the opposite of what I'm trying to achieve. So anyway, that that, that that's what policies mean to us. It's network security enforcement policies.
0: So I can have like lots of segments or
1: pieces of a network, and
0: you you define them as zones and you help control the access in and out of those zones.
1: That's right. We normalize or homogenize the policies to a common view, regardless of what the vendor is, right? We talked about the acceleration of, of heterogeneity. There's a lot of heterogeneity in, our, in the type. You asked me what our, our customers look like. A lot of heterogeneity, meaning that they have a lot of technologies, a lot of enforcement technologies up and down their stack and so, how can I give a common view that looks the same for all of those for all of those technologies, right? How can I give a single? I, I want to provide that single lens, or that uh, I hesitate to use the term common painting class, but that's really what I'm doing. I'm giving you a common viewpoint or a common lens into all of those policies across all those different vendors. Uh, so I'm trying to give you a more homogenous view of that.
0: That's amazing. You're this. You're an abstraction. You're a policy abstraction. Yeah,
1: definitely a a policy abstraction. Yeah,
0: Ruby, it's like you, it's like a DSL, like a domain specific like you have this new language that helps you control all these sub language that have all these commonalities. That's correct. That's brilliant. That's going to win. You guys must be doing well.
1: (laughs) (laughs) We are doing well. I mean, we're doing well. And I mean, like I said, customers are, you know, I think there's a, there's a strong appreciation. I think the other area that, that is growing also around the same thing, it's not only it's is not only homogenizing that view into those policies, but it's also being to. It, it, it's important that we understand that we're not the center of the universe, and that there are a lot of other uh, security technologies out there that you have to integrate with. And so, what's becoming also important for our customers is the strength of the APIs, the commitment that the company has to their API sets, in order to easily integrate with all the other technologies. That, that have been deployed within their organization. So can I enrich, can my data enrich one of the other technologies or can that technology enrich my data in order to raise the total value of my of my solutions across my organization? So the power, the strength of the APIs is becoming more important and people are just starting to understand that a lot better too. And And customers are starting to interrogate their vent- vendors more to say, What's your APIs look like? What do you, you know, for the first time ever, you know, what's your commitment to the APIs? How how much of your product is is exposed via your APIs? Uh, you know, are they secure? How do you secure them? And what percentage of your product exposed? What percentage of your product functionality is exposed, you know, via your APIs? That's
0: that's brilliant. So I'm going to reiterate it so I understand. And my background, 17 years of software engineering, typically I would build small p- like products with teams, like small teams, like under 30, and I would sell those off. So while I got to, I've gotten to work and collaborate with enterprises, I've never held like a senior management position inside of an enterprise. So that's, that's a perspective I am lacking on like the day-to-day task of those things. But what I want to, what I want to get to is, okay, so let's give like a hard scenario so I can understand, so I can know how excited I can get and connect you with people. (laughs) So let's say you have, you know, you have your AWS servers and clusters and policies you have every your whole aws infrastructure right and then you have you know like let's say your your firewalls or your policies you have another group of technology over here and then a third group of technology over here so you've got these like three different types of technologies they all have their own ver- version of security or policy management and you're this abstraction that can help control all of them Am I so far? Are we like kind of tracking? Yeah,
1: yeah, we're tracking. We're there.
0: So then if I am hiring people or, you know, expanding my business and I need to grant access to this new hire or I need to delegate to a manager so that he can get or she can get on their team, these people. And so now I have like one place where I can go that can like I can plug people in and take people out and it'll, you know,
1: filter down into the correct systems. Is this right? That's correct. I mean, that's what we're, it usually takes place in in what I call the ITSM world. Mm-hmm. You know, a ServiceNow ticket is generated, uh, and that ticket is going to request that access that you need as manager. You know, you've got the new person Sally comes on board, and Sally needs access to to HR. So a couple of things could could happen there. If if you know that that request could trickle down into a system, we have a an automated workflow system that we would interpret that inquest coming in. The people responsible would not necessarily responsible for granting that access, would not necessarily have to be inside of that ITSM. They wouldn't even have to actually touch ServiceNow. They would see that request come up as a ticket within their own policy workflow system. They would look at that, they would grant it. More importantly, if it already follows the correct script or it follows the the correct scenario, they could have it automatically enabled. It's like, hey, she's got the right credentials. It's part of our, our AAA or our active directory. You know, she's just trying, they're just trying to add it to this group. So that's something that could be accelerated or flowed across the acceptance uh, process rather than somebody manually having to get in there and say, okay, well, I need to go in and manually accept this. You know, one, one of the biggest things I hear, Joe, is I have my... I have my best people, you know, they come to Firemind, they say, how can you help me? These are the challenges that we have. And one of the things that I hear over and over and over again is I have my best people doing some very repetitive tasks, mundane tasks that I, that's taking them away from the, the higher skilled activities that I hired them to do how can I get some time back? You know, I'm looking to buy time in a bottle, I guess, right? Mm -hmm. I want to be able, how can I get some time back in my day? And that's really what they're asking is how can I help them to be more efficient so that I can give them more cycles to focus on the things that I need them to focus on and not these reoccurring mundane things that happen. And that's where automation comes into play. That's a lot of value that can be extracted in those things that are very repetitive and happen over and over again. Um, So, So, so yeah, you're talking about multiple systems that integrate, you know, using those APIs to communicate, to map out the different disciplines and the processes in order to achieve something that accelerates the approval process is a great example of one way that you can, you know, you could benefit.
0: I like that you bring that up about the smartest people, because I was really agreeing with you. What happens, or at least what I've experienced is you build trust with some of the smartest, brightest people, and then you're definitely going to want those people you know, to delegate who gets control through some of the smartest people. And then you end up, (laughs) then they end up becoming full-time gatekeepers and all the, you're not getting all the creativity and the ingenuity and the innovation from them because they're gatekeeping. And so that's when automation
1: can come in and, and really shine. You're absolutely right. Yeah, no, it it definitely can. That's, that's, you know, people, we, you know, we've experienced also companies that have had failed attempts at automation, they come in a little bit, I don't want to say soured, but with a little bit of a, you know, skeptical disposition to say, you know, we've already thrown some money at some of our automation attempts, and it really hasn't um, produced the fruits that we were looking for. So, Farmon, on, how can you help me? How can I make, how can you make sure that, I'm not just throwing good money after bad. And so and so we start looking at some of those things, right? I do look for the low-hanging fruit. You know, where can I make a positive impact the quickest? And and be again, I go back to being brutally honest. What are the things that are going to require a little more heavy lifting that may even, you know, that's going to give me good returns down the road also? And what's my expectations of achieving those? And it goes back to the aligning the right people with the right process with the technology, right? It's that, it's that three-pole. Vin chart or whatever you want to call it It, it, you know you you got to make sure that you have the right people involved in the project you got to make sure that you have that you've identified the right thing that you're trying to automate also i'm not trying to automate something that's broken already right i mean it's got to work and then i got to make sure that i'm using the right technology and that the people that people understand that technology again i go back to what i said earlier you can have the best technology on the planet but if the people can't use it effectively or it's not scaling to your environment, then you're going to have a problem before you get out of the gate. So do you
0: have any like real world examples, some past customers, you can like leave the name out
1: if you want, or you can include it. I've got a 1000 stories. Let's see. Um, (laughs) You know, we were we were working with a client, I will live the. I'll, I'll leave the name out. You know, that's the other thing in our world, people don't always like to tell their security stories when they put their names to it right it's it's even when clients come to us sometimes and they 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 say hey we need some help we've had an impact what they're really saying is we got breached you know and and that's a bad word the b the b word is a really really bad word in our community right so they don't want to advertise although sometimes they're mandated by regulatory compliance initiatives and things like that but but anyway we were we were engaged with a customer this is a customer that anybody listening to this podcast would 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 recognize And um, they were drawn to one chart. They had our system up and running. It's collecting information. And they were drawn to this one chart that said, uh, that talked about policy complexity. And that's one of the things that we do. We try to analyze the policies to say how complex it is. And what we're really saying is, how promiscuous is that policy? How open is that policy? And, And people tend to put things in the rules that will make them overly permissive like an any in the service field for to get a little more down in the weeds technical. And so they pointed to this chart and they said, why is this ranking this policy as complex? Why is this policy so high? So we said, well, let's click into it. And, and we, we follow kind of a one, uh, a two click, three click rule. You should be able to get to the underlying data within just a couple of clicks. Any more than that, then you're, you're probably, you're getting off chart. So, you know, with just a couple of clicks, we click on that policy and it shows you here's the policy out of all the po- here's all the policies and how they're ranked you click on this it brings up that policy then you click one more click and it shows you the rules that are contributing to this overly to the to the complexity score and in a rule you can have what's called logical pass you can have you know from point a to point b in, in source destination service users application things like that there's a lot of tuples within a security rule but anyway this particular rule was providing four million logical paths through it four million and the rule right below it the other one that had been identified was providing two million they go oh my they stopped our meeting right there to go off and fix this. They go, we have to fix this right now. And what had happened there is they had put an overly permissive statement in the rule on purpose for troubleshooting and forgot about it. You know, it's like, hey, it's working. Now we need to go figure out, you know, what actual ports are being called here. Uh, We'll come back to this. And in the haste of the day and the other 15 priority ones that were on their plate, they started doing other things gone and forgotten this thing got buried and then we were able to surface that for them very quickly. So those overly permissive rules can get buried. And if you don't have a way to surface them, then sometimes they can, they can just lie lie there late until somebody takes advantage of, you know, a bad actor comes in and takes advantage of a, of an overly permissive rule. And then you have, then you're on the front page of the wall street journal, which is where you don't want to be.
0: You should have your marketing team, design up some caricature like a Marvel character that's called Firemon and
1: that character can save the day with (laughs) policies. (laughs) You know, I think at one time I'm going to say, you know, like I said, I've, I've been at Firemon quite a while. I think we had some superhero personas that we had developed around, you you know, making you a, making you a superhero, you know, making the, making the IT people superheroes and stuff like that, creating those personas. So I I think we actually Firemon
0: sounds like a character.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: (laughs) So when you were first exploring working with Firemon, what, what like sealed the deal? Was it the people, the culture, what, what made you want to work there?
1: it was definitely the people uh we were uh, i was we knew the owners of the company uh the visionary jody Brassel was the visionary and gary fish had created the company and uh had spun it out of fishnet security uh at the time and uh we had a long history with gary and so when gary was ready to at a very young i was like employee 12, 12 13 14 there was three of us that came over together you know 13 years ago and uh and so, yeah, it was, you know, I was just excited to work with these guys. These were industry giants to me and, you know, I couldn't have been more excited to to join a small team of people to help launch, to help carry this thing forward. So, yeah. Oh, that's pretty cool. So you were working at Fishnet and this spun out? I was actually, no, I was actually working for another company. I was actually working for a company called Crossbeam. Which was a virtualized hardware platform, um, which was a lot of fun. Really cool technology, and and I was uh, I was very happy there, doing doing really cool stuff and uh, uh, managing the security engineers. And then Gary came to us and said, "Hey, why don't y'all come over and join us? We're ready to kick this thing off and put sales at a higher level." And you know, and and three of us came over together at the same time, kind of. So right. yeah, it was fun. What's the future
0: like? What's the the next thing coming. What what are you really excited about there?
1: I you know, it's 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 combining more. Today, you know, we're 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 giving visibility into we're homogenizing the those security policies, those network security policies across that entire hybrid expanse, you know, and that's only growing. People are people, you know, we were uh looking at one of the um I think Forrester came out and said, you know, where are people going to spend 62% of the security directors that they had surveyed said they were going to invest greater uh, in some particular areas. And one of those areas was acceleration of cloud adoption, you know, and it's like, (laughs) I thought it was already accelerated, you know, you know, people it's, and it is, you know, it's accelerated to the extent that the business is moving faster than our ability to, consistently honor some of the security requests and we're helping companies with that you know honor how do i gain one of the questions is how do i gain parity with the speed of business my my business has 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 definitely increased its, its its acceleration and so as it accre- and so that's going to continue. That's not stopping. They're not stopping. They're not. They're not going to say, "Okay, we'll wait on you." You know, security, y'all come catch up with me. You know, what happens is when the business outpaces your ability to secure it, as they go around you, right? Security can't be seen as an impediment to process. It it can't be a, a blocker. It has to be an enabler, and so that's where we need to go. We need to have a paradigm shift in the way that we are securing those things. If cloud if cloud adoption is going to accelerate, if more workloads are going into the cloud, uh, we have to make sure that we are aligned uh, with the business to secure those things that are going into the cloud. And so those are the areas that we are investing heavily in is making sure that we, we are with our customers on their cloud journey, that we are helping them to enable security along that journey, uh, along their digital transformation and their cloud first strategies that I talked about earlier, Making sure that they're that they're that they do have parity with the speed of the business, that we do have a centralized security policy uh, that is in concert with the organization, and that we don't have fragmentation where people are doing their own things, you know, across different areas of the business. And so, being able to help them to enable them uh, to make sure that uh, you know their DevOps is aligned with their that development is aligned with. With deployment, and deployment is aligned with security. Uh, that they do have strong APIs that they can leverage. That le- leverage that they are able to challenge, identify complexity, and then challenge complexity within these within these growing environments. That they do have the visibility that they need, and then of course, you know, you've got people everywhere now. You know, the pandemic has definitely kind of. Uh, distributed the workforce uh, as if the perimeter wasn't already kind of blurred or grayed, you know, it's really blurred and grayed now. Uh, and maybe permanently, you know, we'll see uh, at the end of this. But, you know, we have to be able to connect the people to the resources that they need to have access in order to do their job. And we need to do it securely and, and timely and consistently. And so that's that's the journey that we're on. That's that's where we're trying to help our customers is make sure that that we can that we're helping them to have an impact in that digital transformation journey.
0: Yeah, and that's why I'm starting to understand more about how, you know, earlier you were talking about being brutally honest. I mean, that's so important, especially when dealing with something as critical as security. But we had done something new uh, that we don't always do. But we we asked your. Uh, you know, your sales team, like for, or your sales leader or you or somebody like, what are the top sales questions being asked? Cause I wanted to better understand the product. Right. And I realized over here at my company, I'm like, all right, well, if somebody wants to understand our product, they should just look at our top five sales questions. Right. And so we did this for your episode and it came out really well. Cause one of the things I picked up on uh, and thank you to your, to your team for for getting that together. But one of the things that I picked up on um, was it seems like it's i don't know how to how to talk about it you had such beautiful words talking about like this parody of the speed of business i was like a fancy way of saying they're like insecure because they grew too fast um (laughs) but i was as i was reading through here i felt like it was the same thing said over and in different ways and that thing that was being said was hey our security is not great can you help us with that and that's that's hard because i was actually thinking about you and that and i was like that must be interesting how they train their salespeople because you have people reaching out to you that are like, we're not happy with what we're currently doing or we did it the wrong way. And I know this in a parallel universe, I guess, because people would come to me for like software rewrites, you know, when they got like venture capital funding and and they would be like, all right, yeah, we just kind of scotch tape and bubblegum. And so some people were super shy about it. Right. Mm-hmm. And they were super shy about like letting someone in and seeing the mess that they made. And some people were okay with it, but that takes a lot of, um, of special like handholding. And it takes a lot of special care and the right words to help people that don't necessarily have a, a great infrastructure to start talking about it. Do you, do you, does that any of that make sense, or am I hitting on uh, it? it
1: ap- no, you're you're hitting on it. I mean, we see that when someone in you know someone new to the IT organization, and it could be a senior person, they inherit. You know, people come and go, right? Companies companies go on, and, uh, and but the company you know the company remains, but people come and go. Uh, but sometimes you're that new person coming on, and you inherit something from your predecessor, and maybe it's not you know, if we get back to the brutal honesty fact of it, maybe it's not as pretty as you would have hoped it was. So where do I start? You know, where do I start to dig in to to make it better? And yeah, we definitely talk to a lot of CIOs and security directors that are looking to say, I'm trying to make sense of this. We've had, I can't tell you how many security directors that have used us somewhere else and they come over and they're like, hey, Get in here as quick as you can. We need you. You know, we need we need you to help us. You did a great job for us here. Uh, get in here and help me roll my sleeves up so I can I can I can make this. We have a mess. A lot of times you find policies. And and you can relate to this from the code perspective because, you know, there's nothing worse than inheriting somebody else's code and there's no documentation around the code, right? (laughs) Security policies are the same way. You take a security policy and you're like, well, why is this security rule in this policy? You know, I have used to be I I could see a security policy and it may have. I, I remember the first time I saw a security policy, it had 2000 rules. And I was like, God, how could anybody possibly use 2000 rules in a policy it just blows my mind doesn't make sense and now routinely we see security policies that are 30,000 40,000 100,000 you know security rules in them but we also see policies that have 50% bloat 40% bloat not like rules that are technically inaccurate technically not doing anything technically allowing access or inadvertent access that doesn't need to be there. We just see all kinds of hygiene problems related to the policies themselves. So starting and some of that is really easy. The technical mistakes, finding rules that are doing nothing, that are that are redundant or shadowed or duplicate. You know, that's just a mathematical equation. That's not even an analytical study. It's not even, there's no analysis to do there other than running the mathematics against it. And so those 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 are what I call like some day zero exercises that we can help to have an immediate impact. And then there's the longer term where we start looking at usage and, and how things are being used, what's being used the most, what's being used the least, what's not being used at all. And if it's not being used at all, it's not that it's a technical mistake, but if it's not being used at all, why is it there? And uh, but if there's no documentation that that there's no context related to that access, you know, then there's this fear of, well, do I really want to get rid of that? You know, what what if somebody does need that? How do I you know? And so there's this fear. So so from a top down, it it really works both ways. You got to you got to give your people the tools they need to analyze the policies to get them cleaned up. But then also management has to be able to empower them to say, hey, go clean it up. Get rid of this get rid of these overly the overly permissive nature of the policy if we accidentally kill something it's okay we'll put it back but when there's no context you either you either have to do nothing to it which you know is complacency is is probably i said complex i said complexity was our biggest adversary complacency is a big adversary also but but if i do nothing that's worse than 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 doing something, I think. And so you need to go and you either have to go and run down the history of this rule, which can be a terrible, time-consuming process, or you put documentation around it. And we're very big about capturing documentation at the time of the change and putting it in the context of the policy. Because when that QSA or that auditor comes in and he wants to know or she wants to know, Tell me now Joel, tell me about this rule right here. What is this rule in here for? And when you can point to it and say, yeah, well, it was added for access to our new, you know, marketing database server and it was updated, blah, 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 date. And the next time, you know, it needs to be reviewed again for our PCI compliance. Standards; it needs to be reviewed again, you know, uh, within the next thirty days as well. So, when you can point out that type of data and give that type of feedback to an auditor or, or 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 a quality security assessor, you know, that's very powerful. But too often, we find these policies with with no substantial documentation and and little to no context around them. And so, trying to figure that out is a uh, is a is a firewall managers worth worst nightmare sometimes so especially if you've inherited so if you're the new guy coming in and you have to make sense of it all We've got to build that mental model it's
0: very labor yeah. intensive <laughs> yeah <laughs> now i want to talk a little bit about this beautiful infographic report that your pr team sent over uh we'll put a link to it so we like don't have to go over awesome. the whole thing uh, but we'll put a, we'll put a link to it in the in the show notes so people can I mean, I'm a sucker for like really well-designed stuff. And so I thought it looked good, but I was curious your perspective. You obviously had a hand in that report um, because you're having to talk about it and you're sharing it with your customers and things of that nature. What's the one thing that, that like you must read in that report? The
1: one thing that's the most interesting thing to you? you know it's it it surfaced a lot of areas right it, the report uh, we called it the future of network security we we we've done several of these surveys and and, our, and the reason the reason we keep doing them is the customers saying really i got a lot of value out of that last we did a, a state of the hybrid cloud we did a state of the firewall i think maybe three years in the row three years in a row and this time it was on the future of network security and we partnered with q a with pulse q a uh, to, to deliver this and, and commission them to do this independently for us. And there was, um, you know, automation was surfaced, embracing zero trust, implementing SASE, the, addressing security dev misalignment, and then the last one was accelerating heterogeneity. Those were the, the areas that were surfaced in the report that we asked questions to these security professionals, about 500 of them. And that's after you throw out the things that, that don't qualify. But out of all of those, I think, you know, automation, understanding the impact that automation can have in your environment. And we've already kind of talked about this, you know, is it can't be understated. It's it's being able to give time back in the day to my people, being able to make me more compliant and stay compliant. You know, it's I, I hate the I hate the fire drill when when the company says, Oh, we've got a big audit coming up, and everybody rushes to to try to become compliant and getting ready for the assessor, the assessor comes in and they pass their audit, you know, by the, uh, by the hair of their chinny chin chin. And then, and then they say, and then they just go right back to, to norm until the next time. Right. And then it's another fire drill, you know, or it's a, or it's a crash diet exercise. And so, you know, I don't want to help companies say, how can I get in a posture that, that, how can I get into a position to where my compliance can become continuous and dynamic and i can stay there once i get there right it's like we said at the very beginning here i am today here's where i want to be and i want to stay here once i get there and so one of the things that surfaced in the report was the importance of automation the importance of automation around better consistency and security better consistency and compliance making my people more efficient uh, understanding change when it happens and leveraging automation to benefit me in those areas so yeah i would Definitely, if, if we're given links to this, you know, there, people can, 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 can go access it. And it's on our site as well and would solicit them to go take a look at it. Because it's, it's really out of all the reports we've done, it's really chocked full of some really good information. So this most recent one you did with Pulse Q&A? We did. Yep. Dude, they're awesome.
0: I've gotten to go out and meet, I think you say his name is Anand, um, but he's a CTO over there. But I've actually been in their physical offices in San Francisco.
1: Awesome. Yeah. yeah. No, they did a great they did a great job and and there was a lot of good feedback and yeah, well, I'm quite sure that we'll be uh partnering with them in the future on some other things. Yeah, there's some cool people as well.
0: Uh, when I saw them I was like, "Hey, come on the podcast." I interviewed them. Man, Probably about two years ago. I was like, this is really cool what you're doing. And I I think I had like tweeted at them or something when I was visiting in San Francisco and they're like, come on by. So I just literally stopped by their office and got to, and some of the people that were on their, sc- they had this big screen in their front room of like the different Q and A's and the different people who are mm-hmm. active. And some of the names on the list were like either past podcast guests or people that I know that message me sometimes about like, you know, from regular listeners and stuff like that. I was like, man, this
1: world is so small, but it's so big at the same time. It's unbelievable. That's right. Yeah, uh, that's right. No, I say, it, I say it's smaller and getting smaller. You know, right? It's just like, it's, uh, it's amazing. You know, I miss part of that. You know, the pandemic has, uh, restricted some of our reunions you know it's always fun when you go to the big conferences and you get to meet people that you that you've worked with in the past and it's just like a, a homecoming many times and you know I, I do miss some of that you know with the virtual conferences and stuff you just don't get that same you know reuniting of, of of friends and past associates and things like that so yeah hopefully we'll get back to a to a better norm here in the future
0: yeah i think i think in like and, I, and everyone's going to hate this this is like a realistic timeline, not like an Elon Musk advanced timeline, I think like in three years, <laughs> this thing will be like forgotten about, but uh, that's a gradient. That means like the end point we're already in the, the, the creating the lax, you know, part of it, but I think it'll take three, you know, it'll be like in three years, it'll be like one person still
1: like wearing mask when they sleep. <laughs> Yeah, no, we'll be. Yeah. yeah, no, you're right. I mean, it's you know, we're probably like in the middle of the gradient, and you know, you're right. You know, sometimes we'll look back on it and say, "You remember when? You remember when? Yeah, yeah I remember that. And Yeah, but it,
0: you know, we're not there yet." So. And I, I mean, I, and I need to clarify too. I was thinking like a three-year cycle, so from like when uh-huh. this began, not like from today. But mm-hmm. I, I think like a three-year cycle is probably what it takes for people to forget stuff because we forget really fast. Dude, this is great. All right. You got it. As we start to wrap up here, I want to be respectful of your time. Share with me like some of the best leadership advice that you've ever gotten. Don't be
1: scared to make mistakes. You know, it's like, you know, I, as a manager, I managed our sales engineers for a long time. I want to make sure that I empower my people. If you want to have creative thought on your teams and you want to empower your people is to make sure that, you know, they're not afraid to come up with Different solutions and, and 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 think outside the box. I know I, we use that term a lot, but it, what, what that really means to me is, hey, there's nothing off the table, right? It's like, but and entertain it. Make sure you're entertaining those ideas, and those thoughts, and those, uh, uh, you know, for the people that you have that you have responsibility for, and engage with them, and network with them, and understand where their where their creative juices lie, uh, and how you can leverage that, how you can harness it, how you can you know, make sure that that match stays lit uh, in those arenas. So, yeah, it's that's, you know, from a leadership perspective, it's uh, the, the, the first time you stifle creative thought, it's just it's stifled forever. And that's just a really bad thing. So you want to just make sure that you're giving way to, that you have a path for them to, to let those creative juices out, you know, for the betterment of the, of the team.
0: Yeah, you got to get the bad ideas out first. That's why you don't say yeah, no. You yeah, There's say, nothing. Yep, not, yep, yeah. That's right. No,
1: it's like it doesn't mean I'm going to agree with it every time, but it, but definitely, you know, I definitely want to talk it, debate it, and, uh, and, and that's the other thing. You know, if somebody doesn't accept something, that it doesn't necessarily mean no. It just means that we're debating, we're talking. Let's look at the pros and cons. This looks at both sides of it. What's the, you know, what's the positive? What's the negatives? You know, what's the neutral? And uh, you know, what 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 do we want to do with this idea? so yeah
0: i love it i love it it sounds like you have a strong team over there that understands you know their role in this innovation and so you can move quickly and debate these ideas and and bring this to the market i think it's great what you guys are doing
1: uh we have a great team of people i can't say enough about the culture at Firemon and the and and the leadership at Firemon and the the people that are here he's just really some great people i like i said i've been here a long time if, if 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 i didn't enjoy it you know i wouldn't be here i think you know life's too short too short not to enjoy what you're doing right so <laughs> yeah. uh no absolutely i can't think of anywhere else i'd rather be right now are you guys hiring we are we're definitely hiring and you can go to our website you know any anybody that's interesting especially in the development arena uh, we have some aggressive timeframes on some, uh, on some of the functionality that we're trying to bring to bear, bear on the challenges that our customers are faced with. And so we are definitely hiring. I would, uh, solicit people to go check out our website and, and go to the career section. And, uh, you know, if you think you have an alignment and you have the moxie that we're looking for and, and, uh, and we have the moxie that you're looking for, then yeah, by all means, you know, throw your hat in the ring.